welcome to Dark Materials. I'm Faye. Hi. And I'm Rachel. Hello. This is a podcast where we're reading through and discussing Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials novels, a chapter at a time, spoiler free. In this episode, we are talking about chapter 13 of The Subtle Knife, Asa Hetra. a load of that pronunciation <laughs> i mean she smashed it i mean i think you smashed it if the tv show got it got it right that means that you smashed it yeah i mean if the tv show hadn't come out even with the audiobooks i think i would have struggled <laughs> every time i typed it out when i was making my notes i kept having to open the chapter back and like look at the top of the page to double check my spelling and so eventually it's just it's got all sorts of spellings in my notes there's a lot of ass hattery going on <laughs> i hand write my notes and I just did like a little scribbly symboly thing every time I wrote it because I couldn't be bothered to write it out every time and look how it's spelled. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, how are you? I'm good I think. I mean I got to see you in person the other day which was lovely. We went and we're now allowed outdoors to see people. The pubs are open, all the poor bar staff are being utterly overwhelmed by all of the all of the desperate, desperate punters that have been missing their friends and drinks and sunshine for so long. And now we can have all three at the same time. It was so nice. And the pubs are open and I've been to too many pubs already. I need to calm down with the pubs. I'm just, I just love a pub. I just bloody love a pub. But yeah, it's really nice. I've seen you like twice in the last week and it's been amazing. I've been bloody lovely. I have to say my social batteries are like oh girl we're not ready for this you need to recharge us better <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 also i forgot how nice it is to just have sunshine on your face and your general body because like when we were sat in the sun the other day i got back yesterday i was like wow i feel great and it's like yeah probably because i went outside i go out for walks and stuff but i suppose it's not like a massively prolonged period out in the sun getting some of that sweet sweet vitamin d mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. get the d <laughs> Famously love the day over here. <laughs> <laughs> Famously. <laughs> Speaking of the day, I will say that I recently rewatched Fleabag and completely, I didn't forget, because obviously we know Andrew Scott, when we were doing the TV show episodes, we'd always call him Hot Priest. I am aware that he is, he played a hot priest in Fleabag but when I watched it again I was like oh my god he is so hot he's so hot and I was like wow this is uh this is great and confusing <laughs> is it a thing that there's rumors that he might be playing Tony Blair in the upcoming seasons of The Crown maybe or some some BBC drama somebody said that in our discord when we were doing the most recent watch along and I was like are they going to make Tony Blair hot or are they just going to ruin Andrew Scott no, for us <laughs> please don't do it please don't please. do it but yeah he had um he had some lines in Fleabag that I completely forgot about and I was like Jesus fucking Christ and uh, my housemate Zach was watching with me watched the second season with me and he was like who is this and what is going on i was like right right y'all are late to the party like i was busy watching sherlock holmes years ago and be like oh sexy moriarty sexy moriarty and he's got his like fun like lovely accent in that as well and it's like oh yeah it's funny because we were talking about 
Andrew Scott and I knew who he was before Fleabag and obviously before his Dark Materials but I don't know how because I'd not seen Sherlock and I haven't seen anything with him in so I must have just seen his like face around I know he used to do a lot of theatre stuff so I wonder whether I'd seen his face on like some you know theatre billboards or programs he's one of those people that's been in a lot of stuff yeah so it was just an appreciation for Andrew Scott and then also I was telling Zach about when they did the uh comic con panel and he looked can you remember how good he looked in that when he was like sat in his bathroom and he had really long hair and I was like skipping through it to like show Zach <laughs> and I was like look how hot he looks here um <laughs> Don't mind us just being thirsty bitches. Go to horny jail, Faye. We're not even five minutes into the episode and she's already been sent to horny jail. It's really bad. I, that keeps happening to me. <laughs> just, oh God. It's a representation of my life, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I've been rewatching loads of stuff. I also rewatched Feel Good, which took me like not long at all because there's only six episodes. And I love that so show. Good. It's so great. I love May Martin. If you haven't been watching it, I would potentially recommend the most recent series of Taskmaster because it's um, it's got Caroline... Oh, what's her surname in it? She, she's the girlfriend in Feel Good. Uh, she plays George, right? Yeah. And she's also in Dead Pixels. I want to say her name's Caroline. She's also in Raised by Wolves. Yes. She's great. She's in um, the current season of Taskmaster. And she's just so utterly lovely and like c- consistently confused, consistently just baffled. And it is the sweetest thing to watch. <laughs> I don't know why. Taskmaster, like, is fine. Uh, this is probably going to be a very unpopular opinion. Oh, it very much depends who's in it as to whether I enjoy it. Yeah, I'd, I've, I've, I've obviously seen it before. And, like, when I've watched it, I've been like, oh, this is fine. But I've, like, I've never, like, loved it. I like Greg Davis a lot as well. Like, his stand-up is great. But I don't have much else to watch. So. Mm, it's worth maybe cracking into the season just for her or there's probably a youtube compilation of her best bits also in one of the episodes she's wearing an excellent jumper that has uh, a pocket print we were talking about pocket prints earlier we're big into a pocket print of like a little frog on a bench and it was really nice and i I was googling it and i couldn't find it anywhere so sad times if anyone's seen that episode recognizes that jumper and knows where i can get it tell me Apparently, old Rupert Giles himself, Anthony Stewart Head, is going to be in the second season of Feel Good, so that's exciting. Was he not in the first season? You've said this to me before. No, he wasn't in the first season. <laughs> who plays her dad? Who plays May Martin's dad in the first season? I don't know who he is, but it's not it's not Anthony Stewart Head. Why do I have that imprint? He's just Giles' dad in everything, basically. <laughs> I was going to say, like, we literally had this conversation and I said to you, Anthony Stewart's head, head is going to be in Feel Good, and you're like, he's already in it. I was like, no, he isn't. <laughs> He definitely isn't. What have you been doing? Because, like, clearly all I've been doing is watching TV. Uh, I've just been pottering pottering away, pottering around, uh, enjoying the more frequent visits of neighbourhood cats to the garden, enjoying being able to, like, do things outside, and in general being a bit of an art hermit, to be honest. I've just been working on lots of bits and bobs, always working on the next shop update. I'm in a classic cycle of, like... Yeah, what are you up to? Oh, well, either work or watching TV. Or in the pub with my friends. Or outside the pubs with my friends. (laughs) But yeah, um, Mm. I can't wait to be able to be like, what have you been up to? And you can tell me that you've like been places and Uh, done things and seen people. (laughs) It's going to be so exciting. Can you remember, yeah, when we were like, oh, I've been to a gig or like blah, blah, blah. Like, God, remember those times. Remember. Also... As we're recording this, the day, it's 420 day, bitch. Happy 420 day. 
happy birthday. You know, it has happened recently. Unfortunately, the podcast email account has been getting loads of spam and we need to fix that. But oh, occasionally, in amongst the spam, I'm getting a really nice mess- text message from Faye being like, a real human's emailed us. It's very exciting. So... We are still bloody loving emails, despite spam trying to sell us weird things. And we don't know how that, I mean, the hazards of putting your email address on the internet, I guess. But we're bloody loving the emails and we're very excited for the mailbag. So just a reminder, we're not that far off the end of the book. Send us your emails. Give us your thoughts. We're so excited. Yes, please, please do. Herdarmaterialspod at gmail.com. Don't pass it on to any spam bots. We've already got, <laughs> we've already got enough spam. <laughs> Hey, Faye. Yes. What would your demon have been this week? So, out of this window here that Rich can see, but none none of you can, I have a tree right outside it. And there's this grey squirrel. I can't say the word squirrel. (laughs) Grey squirrel. You're welcome. That sits on, (laughs) there's like a branch that like protrudes and it's quite like a thick branch. And, um, it sits on this particular branch and it's like I tried to get a picture of it yesterday but it moved really quick but it's like it just like hangs its feet off the side and it looks really chill and I was like it's gonna be that particular squirrel because I feel like the tree is close enough to like and it's right next to my desk as well so like I just look out the window when I can't be asked to do work or procrastinate or whatever and it's just there chilling and it's at a distance where it wouldn't where I feel it wouldn't be too far for your demon to be if that makes sense so it's like it could sit on that tree while I worked or whatever i'm doing at my desk i like that <laughs> chill squirrel it's that particular squirrel as well <laughs> i'll try and get a picture if it comes back what about you what would your demon be so like you were saying not much has happened recently but the sun has come out and the other day sitting outside a pub we managed to get like the perfect little miraculously this one table that just did not it was never out of the sun it was lovely. We were in like a little sun trap. And so I was thinking about animals that like basking and like basking in the sun. And then just looking at a list of animals that enjoy basking in the sun, I spotted terrapins and I thought that's really perfect. Oh, I haven't heard the word terrapin for so long. I don't know why. Oh. <laughs> but so yeah, they love like, they love to do a little bask in the sun, but then also very much feeling that like bask in the sun this is really lovely oh no too many humans too much social interaction i'm not used to this i I, like retreat back inside the shell and like protect your energy which is like very much what i feel my demon will be doing right now is like basking in the sun and then when it gets a bit too much being able to hide away and like protect me so great love it love it also yeah a terrapin what a great word (laughs) it is such a great word yeah i love a terrapin also, what they're like turtley, tortoisey things, right? Yeah, I feel like they're more turtle, right? Yeah, I would, like. What's the difference between a turtle and a terrapin? Terrapin feels like we would more have them in this country than like a tur- like an actual turtle. Turtles seem like don't they live in like hot climates and stuff? The turtle is most widely used and usually refers to turtles that spend most of their times in or near the water. Terrapins are turtles that spend time both on land and in brackish swampy water. The word terrapin comes from an Algonquin word meaning a little turtle. Oh, a little turtle. Cute. Yeah, but I feel like I feel like we don't see terrapins very often. In my head, terrapins are like, you always see them in the aquarium section at the zoo <laughs> or at like a botanical gardens. If they've got a big pond, they'll have like big old koi fish and then some terrapins. I think they've got a terrapin at Kew. 
They've also got an iguana. Have you seen the iguana at Kew Gardens? I've never been to Kew Gardens. <gasps> we should go. It's lovely. Yeah, I'd love to go. I love lizards. Me too. Shall we get into this chapter? Yes. Last chapter, we were back with Mary and met her colleague, Dr. Oliver Payne. They were visited by Creepy Charles slash Boreal, who offered to help fund the research, but only if they made some morally sketchy changes to its direction. Mary used the cave to speak to Dust and was told about a special mission in which she must play the serpent. She followed the instructions given to her by the cave and ended up going through a window into Chittagatsi. Ooh. Ooh. In this chapter, the witches try to heal Will's hand with a spell. Will opens up to Lyra and shares stories about his life with his mother, her mental health, and their experiences of being victims of bullying from some horrible children. Rutuscardi drops in, literally, and tells them of her Azrael finding adventure, the war that is to come, and a mysterious someone or something called the Asahetra that will help win Azrael the war. A sleeping Will and Lyra are surrounded by angels in an eerie tableau as Serafina and Ruta make their plans. Tableau! Did you like my use of tableau? I did, I did, I did. (laughs) Well, what a chapter. What a bloody chapter. So much happens. Yes. So, to set the scene, the moon has risen. Will has probably woken up from under his pile of leaves, very confused (laughs) about why he's covered in leaves. Um, And it's time to do a spell. And Phil has clearly had a whale of a time writing this witch's spell. (laughs) I am not somebody that did English Lit at any point past GCSE level, but... I had a sneaking suspicion that Phil probably took this opportunity to play around with some iambic pentameter. Ooh, yeah, I did English lit at A-level, but I always struggle with iambic pentameter just in general. I have to hear it to to know it rather than like, I can't, I struggle to like read anything in iambic pentameter. Yeah, so I was trying to work out if this is in iambic pentameter and I'm not 100% sure of the like hard and fast strict rules on it, but the general impression I got when I was trying to read about how to recognise iambic pentameter is just that inter- I'm not sure about like the numbers because you can also have like iambic heptameter and whatever the different numbers. It's to do with the emphasis on certain words right? Yeah so the idea is like the rhythm is supposed to feel or sound like a heartbeat where it's like hard soft hard soft which makes sense in this because I was literally sat on my bed reading this book and like tapping my chest to try and work out if it counts and I think it does okay are you gonna do it (laughs) I I can try put your money where your mouth is rich come on yeah so it's supposed to be like a heartbeat like da 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 or da 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 I don't know oh god you know when you second guess yourself I felt like I had it down last night Little knife they tore your iron out of Mother Earth's entrails, built a fire and boiled the ore, made it weep and bleed and flood, hammered it and tempered it. And then I, you know, when you're like, I'm a pentameter, fuck you. Why are you like putting this full stops in the middle of a line? <laughs> yeah, no, that was, that was good. Well done. Iambic pentameter is one of the reasons why I struggle with Shakespeare a lot. I like Shakespeare, love the, love the stories, like studied quite a lot of it in my A-levels, but I always struggled with iambic pentameter. It's like, I just want to read it. And I know that he did it for a reason. That's how you're supposed to read it. But like, I just want to read it without having to think about 
how I'm reading it, if that makes sense. So it kind of put like a barrier up for me when I was like trying to properly get into Shakespeare and I was just like, oh, I don't want to read it now, I'm a bit pentometer. I just want to read it. It's that thing where it's like, it works really well sometimes when you can really get into the rhythm of it. And like, if you're struggling to find a pace when you're trying to read a section of it, trying to get that like heartbeat rhythm as you're reading helps you to power through reading it. We did it to death at like GCSE basically. Like there's only so many times you can like pull apart a passage of The Tempest before you never want to read The Tempest ever again in your yeah, life. I feel that. But like, I feel like Phil really took this as like a, embraced this opportunity and was like, okay, let's do my version of the Hubble Bubble Toil and Trouble kind of thing. Like what, how would my witches Hubble and Bubble? And I really like that. That he's like, yeah, I'm going to write, I'm going to try and do something iambic-y and pentameter-ish. <laughs> yeah, I have a question about the content of the spell because they seem to now know every little thing about the knife, whereas before they were like, what is this knife? They know, like, they, this spell seems to go into like how it was forged and stuff. Yeah. Is that just because they're witches and they, they know, like the shaman, like Joppery? Maybe they kind of like scoped out and like felt it out while Will was sleeping because they were asked about the knife a little bit didn't they did did they get told the story of the knife I can't quite remember and they know a bit from the um the guy that told the, the exposition man that they met many chapters ago so they do know a bit about the knife's history I love this I feel like it's a thing in three sections in terms of like the way that it's written whereas like the first section there's just like one particular bit that I really love that's like you sliced a shade into a million into a thousand shadows or something, which is lovely. And when you sliced a single shade into thirty thousand shadows, and then they knew you were ready and they called you subtle one. Lovely. Yeah, I'm lovely. not gonna do it. I'm a bit pentameter, sorry. <laughs> Great description. Well, technically you did because you just read it. Maybe <laughs> that's what it is, right? <laughs> just whenever they call it little knife, they're like, But little knife, what have you done? Little knife. Silly your little mother knife. You. Bloody hell. They just keep calling it little knife and like I like it. It's all very much like about the I like it's like they're addressing the knife and they're like telling the knife off for having <laughs> cut Will. And then they address Will. And they plead with his blood to get back in his body. <laughs> and they're like, please, turn around. It's like me when I'm on my period. I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> no, I'm like, just get out all in one go. But just, yeah, pleading to go back. And like, it's some nice imagery and some nice words and stuff. But it really does like, it's, le- it's less of a command and it's more of a like, please. <laughs> And then the last bit, they that's where it gets a little bit hubble-bubbly because obviously the Shakespeare witches in Macbeth do a lot of listing of ingredients. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And like a majority of this is more about the process and the items involved in that you want to influence rather than about the ingredients. And it's like, no, it's fine. At the end, we'll do like a, more of like a staccato, like fast-paced thing where we list the ingredients. <laughs> Um, with the like oak bark spider silk ground moss salt weed (laughs) it's like i feel like if this was a song that would be the rap section where it breaks down the way that you said that reminded me of a fairly odd parents theme tune oh really (laughs) i can't remember what words they say but they're like listing things oh they're like grape juice pample yeah yeah. Yeah. and there's one that says chocolate and it's like chocolate shake at the end that's what it sounded like when you're doing that (laughs) yes and this is where i was like new band name either Inara Witches 
were like Lake and Aura witches, which is Serafina's clan. And they'd have like the vibes of maybe like Florence and the Machine, bit of Stevie Nicks, bit of Fleetwood Mac, like we're so witchy vibes, or just Inara. And it sounds like Enya. Oh. So imagine that if this entire like song that they're singing, but it's like Enya vibes. I think, okay. Don't hate me, everyone. I'm not a massive fan of Enya, but I do like the name Anara better than Anara Witches. So if we could take Anara and have that be more the Fleetwood Mac slash Florence and the Machine vibes. What if it was Anara Lake and it was a screamo band? <laughs> yes. There's a screamo band called Medina Lake. That's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> oh, they were great as well. They're not. They're not together anymore. Damn. Yeah, that's a good one. I like it. Well done. Thank you. But I would like for somebody to write me this as a song, but with, yeah, either influenced by Enya or apparently Medina Lake. <laughs> get Johnny to do it. I should. I really should. Or Zach. We'll get somebody to do it. <laughs> they do some things here after they've like said the spell, which I really like. And they're like obviously testing to see if it's working. Because like Lyra's been stirring some herbs and shit the whole time. And Serafina takes her own knife and she splits a tree is it a tree yeah a sapling a small tree and it seals she puts some of the liquid where it's split and it seals up and they get a rabbit or a hare and do the same thing and everyone's like loses their shit about it and yeah obviously i would not want to see this happen but at least it's okay because they split the hair down the stomach and there's a great line where it talks about all its like entrails falling out and shit the real hair fell still, eyes bulging, breast heaving, entrails glistening. Ooh. But then it, it, they heal it and it's fine. But it, I, I wondered whether Phil made it a hair on purpose so that you think of Hester. Oh no, I hope not. It's really harsh. And then makes Pan be a hair in sympathy to watch. Like, oh, I really like that. I love that like Pan becomes a hair in sympathy. It, it seems to me like it would be like a very like subconscious choice. Like if you could change form, if you're feeling sympathy for someone or something, it would just make sense that you would change into that thing. Yeah. Yeah. So my only thoughts, <laughs> my only thought on this, my brain immediately kind of went to D&D land and was like, so Seraphina's made a spell that heals slashing damage, which is a different kind of damage to what Will's had. Like I know that he's been, his fingers have been cut off but they've been cut off like that's like a blunt end on an it's not a slash you can't it's not like a seal between the worlds that you can seal up like how seraphina seals up this rabbit it's a very different kind of wound she's created magical steri strips which are fine if you've been cut but if you've like chopped something off that's a completely different kind of medical procedure which we know because we spoke to dr anna and seraphina has not made magical bone nibblers to sort out wills or any of this stuff and so i wonder is that why it doesn't work? Maybe. But that's, yeah, she's made a spell to heal slashing damage, not blunt damage or fire damage or any of the other types of damage that probably are what the knife is a combination of all of the things of. I feel like you need a special potion for that. When we've spoken to Russell Dodgson, he always mentions this chapter, like he's mentioned it, the both times we've spoken to him about how the witches can't heal Will's hand. So like when I got to it, I was like, oh, Russ. <laughs> yeah. I think that's potentially what's changed my opinion on a lot of the ways that the the power that is embodied within the passage that is the spell. Because like I'm sure I, it, when reading it as a kid, before we get to the end of the chapter and find out that it's not worked, I would have been like, oh, badass, like, oh, 
blood red scorching, ah, all these cool words. Like, it sounds so powerful and they're chanting and screaming and singing into the moon and it's really cool and witchy. And then when Russell's pointing out, he's like, they didn't actually do much though, did they? Like, it just failed. They just pleaded for it to get better, please, thank you very much. And then it didn't. And reading it again, you're like, oh gosh, they really are just saying like, please go back inside the body blood, please. Yeah, it's funny because like, I, I also read it in a different way in, in the sense that I read it as the the knife is so powerful that like, even if the witches are very powerful, they weren't powerful enough to like stop a wound that the knife had done. And I never really read it as like a, a is it a reflection on actually the ability of the witches instead, which I think is how Russell uh, took it. And I still don't know which side I fall on. I think maybe I'll know more when I finish the book again. But yeah, it's interesting to like read it from that side as well. Yeah. I also just kind of, the little passage that's directed towards the blood, where it's like, blood obey me, turn around, be a lake and not a river. When you reach the open air, stop and build a clotted <laughs> wall. Build it firm and hold the flood back. Blood, your sky is the skull dome. Your sun is the open eye and your wind, the breath inside the lungs. Blood, stay, your world is bounded. Stay there. It's like trying to gaslight the blood into like thinking that, that its only world is the world within will. It's like, there's no world outside. Don't go thinking about the world outside, blood. Get back in the body. <laughs> you don't need to be out there. There's nothing for you. Just like, Shh, it's not for you. It's not for you. Stay inside. Keep keep the skull as your sky. <laughs> it's lovely, lovely imagery. But like, it's, yeah, part of it just really resonates in a comical way for me when I'm reading it in this time around. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, fair. That's fair. So... Seraphine, it's ready. They tested it on the hair. It's alive. It ran away. So they put it onto, Seraphina puts it onto Will's hand and she puts the herbs on there as well that Lyra's been stirring and then puts some silk over it. And we just got hurt for the best. And then Will goes to sleep and Lyra sleeps next to him, which is cute. So then Seraphina tells them that she will help them in whatever they're doing. So she's there to help Lyra. So she will help them find Will's dad. Oh, my only note on that is because they're agreeing where to go and they're looking in the direction of the mountains and like they have to travel to the mountains. And I just feel like that's a really like iconic hero's journey adventure thing is to just something is in the mountains and you have to go there. Like I'm trying to think of all the things in which it's like, oh, and now we have to travel to the mountains. The main one I'm thinking of, of course, is Lord of the Rings because their main goal is like Mount Doom. And then like there's definitely so many novels and stories even in the first book Lyra's main goal by the end was to get up a mountain like it's such a such a clear goal to be like beyond them I'm thinking of holes as well when he has to go to the mountain that looks like the thumbs up it's another trip like the rickety bridge right yeah everyone's always looking to climb a mountain that's where the alethiometer tells them that they should go so that's where they they head off this next bit is interesting like they're on their journey Lyra's looking all like the wildlife in the forest, which I enjoy. But then her and Pan have a conversation. Number one, we haven't seen them have a conversation for fucking ages. Yes. And number two, it's an argument. And we yeah. haven't really seen them argue before. We've seen Pan be like, oh my God, like Lyra, don't do that. And we've seen them maybe have like a crossed word here and there, but they're actually having like a debate here, which we've not seen before. Yeah, the closest we've gotten to an argument in the past is Lyra wants to do something and Pan cautions her to be cautious and then Lyra ignores him and does it anyway. 
And he'll say, I told you so after, as is his right to do. Whereas like, this is more of a debate, but it's been so long since we've heard them have a chat. And I do wonder if it's a little bit of that thing of like, they've not had alone time to get back in sync with each other for a little while. So they are a bit out of step and they are more likely to have a fight. All of this talk around, if we didn't do that, then this wouldn't have happened. And they have a similar conversation with Will soon. It made the alarm bells go off in my head as to be like, oh, they're growing up. Because that's the thing, that's the kind of thing that you start to wonder about when you start to grow up. I know for me, can't speak for everyone, when I was a child, I was never thinking about that kind of stuff. I was never really thinking about like consequences or like how if I'd done something differently, then something different might have happened. I was just like plodding along in my little kid life. Um, And it was only when I got older that I started thinking about, oh, well, there are different things that could happen if I do this thing or if I do this thing, something else might happen. And yeah, I think it's very much the beginning of them becoming more grown up. And also the fact that Lyra and Pan have a conversation here about what Pan might settle as. Mm, Which I love as well, (laughs) especially because he's like classic Pan. He's like, I'd probably just be a flea, so (laughs) buns to you. Um, I really love the way that Lyra is kind of in this like thinking like what if what if what if like if we'd never done this it's simultaneously like oh look they're growing up and like it makes everybody immediately it's a real way of like connecting with the reader as well because then you go inside yourself and think like oh what about all the times in my life where if I made a different decision at times when you make those decisions like you first start to be allowed to make those kinds of decisions and encouraged to when you're like choosing your GCSEs and you get to pick the pathways or some people do some people are forced by their parents to study maths but (laughs) I'm like oh if I hadn't chose to art to do art at GCSE I wouldn't have done it at A level I wouldn't have gone on to then do art at university it might not be my job right now or I might have gone down a completely different path and then still found out art is my job thinking about those pathways for yourself really like links you hard to the character and it also is a really great way of Phil reinforcing this like many worlds theory as well of being like oh there's a world in which Lyra didn't go into the retiring room and Pan did persuade her not to and like and Azrael died yeah amalgamation of like all these things where so you're thinking about the many worlds and the many possibilities and it's also going, hey, remember chapter one of book one? Look how far we've come. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And she did that towards the end of the first book as well, being like, oh, if only I hadn't gone into the retiring room. And it's like, oh no, we're coming to the end of a book. There's going to be a finale soon. Something's got to go wrong because Lyra's reminiscing about how far she's come. <laughs> they also talk about who they think like Will's father is. He must be important almost as important as Asriel. Yeah, yeah, fucking hell. Fuck <laughs> Only <it> almost. <laughs> Just before that bit, I love that Pan changes into a pig and does like a little squeal so that Lyra laughs at him. Lyra gets very irate really quickly. They're talking about like if what they're doing is important. And Pan's like, we don't know it. We think it is, but we don't know. We just decided to look for dust because Roger died. And I think it might be the mention of Roger where Lyra's like, we know it's important and the witches know it's important. She gets very much on the defensive very quickly. And that, I can definitely relate to that, as especially as a teenager. God, I was always on the defensive. Hashtag justice for Roger. Every time Roger gets mentioned, we have to remember what a sweet little soul he was. Yeah. And then they have a little chat about Lyra asks Pan why he licked Will when they're in the tower. And Pan's like, because he needed a demon. He didn't have one. 
And if you were half as good as seeing things as you think you are, you would have known that. And Larry's like, I did know it really. <laughs> well, yeah, I did know it. I was just saying that I didn't. Sometimes though, I wonder if it's one of those conversations where it's like, she's mentioning it because because she's not mentioned it. And she was just wanted to double check that they're on the same page. Like I know I've had that, we've all had that moment where something's happened a while ago and you realise that you've not spoken about it properly with the person that it happened with. And then you're like, say that thing. And then they're like, yeah, that thing. And you're both like, it was weird, yeah? And you're both like, yeah, it was really weird. Like, it's not just you. But in this time, it's like, that was the right thing to do, right? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, of course it was the right thing to do. And I was like, okay, cool. Just checking, just checking, just checking. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> I like that. I did not read it like that at all. I read it her, as her being like, yeah, I did know it really. Yeah, I did know it. I already knew That it. happens a, f- a couple of times this chapter as well, though, when Lara's like, I didn't trust Angelica right from the off. And Will's like, yes, you did. And she's like, yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right, I did. <laughs> yeah, I just feel like I kind of read it as like, uh, she just hates being wrong. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And like, she doesn't like being accused of not knowing things. She likes to know everything so that when somebody tells her something that she doesn't know, she's like, yeah, well, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. So that's fine. I already knew it. It Yeah, it could totally be both. (laughs) Will catches up with them and um, they start to have a little conversation about what the kids are doing and whether they might be following them, whether they're still in danger from this mob of kids. And that's where Lyra is like, I never trusted Angelica and not from the beginning. And Will's like, yes, you did. And she's like, yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> and they talk about how the city really changed for them. Like when they first went in, they thought it was this like magical place. Like why it was mysterious. It was empty, but it didn't bother them. And then finding out that they're surrounded by spectres made it a really eerie place to be, which I kind of love that. It really reminds me of the conversation we had with Joel Collins about Mrs. Coulter's apartment and how the cast and the crew walked around there and were like oh my god it's beautiful I love it I love it this place is amazing it's so classy and then if they spent too long in there they'd be like oh it's a bit creepy actually it's a bit sinister isn't it and that description kind of really matches up for me and I don't know if there's anything in it but I just kind of it really resonated with me in that way yeah no fair a good comparison it's brought up again that Lyra has never seen kids act like that and Will says again that he has and this time Lyra asks him about it and this is what we've kind of been talking about for a little while because we thought we'd missed it in the beginning of the book it turns out here it is so sorry for mild spoilers people (laughs) it's a classic case of me being like I'm very clever and I must have put two and two together (laughs) and never had it spelled out for me (laughs) because I can't find it prior to where we're at at this point in the book and I'm convinced that's where it should be and actually it's just that it happened later and I've read the book so many times there are a big old jumble in my brain (laughs) so apologies if that spoiled that connection for you this whole bit with Will just poor sweet Will is this just really devastating it's devastating it really hits home the lack of support that's been there for Will and his mum and the fact that they fear the or that Will fears that his mum will be taken away from him if anyone in a position of authority finds out about her is heartbreaking because it just like really highlights the lack of support that is there for him. The fact that they don't have a support network around them means that he's unaware of any actually nice, friendly systems that might be able to help support him and his mum and he's only convinced that they will take his mum away from him and that he's desperate to avoid that. So the extents to which they go to and the stuff that they endure because of the fear of uh, the system mishandling their case, which is 
he has no reason to believe that that won't happen. You know, he has no reason to have a faith in authority. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Will talks about how some boys saw his mum when she wasn't in a great mental state and decided to bully her and him. Um, And it's very sad and awful. And there's one bit where it talks about how like Will went into school and like broke one of their arms and like had a big fight and stuff. And we've seen Will's willingness to be violent a couple of times in the book. And I honestly think it just comes from a lack of guidance because he didn't have his dad when he was growing up. His mum, he has basically been the one that has taken care of his mum. He's had to assume the role of a carer very young and maybe just didn't have a lot of guidance in terms of like how to deal with your emotions properly, like how to process them. So that when things happen like this, he's more likely to to jump to being violent. And he's also just got like, he says it in in the section where he says he has no friends. He had the cat and that's it. He has no friends. He has no emotional outlet to vent about any of the frustrations that exist when you're a young carer. He doesn't have any place to like, have a rant about how hard it is he doesn't have any place to express his fears in a safe way and so potentially like violent outbursts are the logical conclusion of where all of this like pent-up emotion is kind of going to which is rubbish and also this like Lyra is viewing this as this very like defensive protective he's just like Yorick he's such a fighter kind of thing but for me it really highlights how vulnerable he is at the same time because he's so constantly on edge all the time about somebody finding out about his mum and taking him away or taking her away that he's got a short fuse because it's like if you're living constantly on edge you are going to be quick to have an emotional response whether that be like a physically emotional response or something else he's never relaxing is he do you know what I mean like he's never a relaxed person he's never had the luxury of being able to do that and I think that can lead to you know violent outbursts yeah I have another kind of point within this same band which is the potential problems with what we're seeing here with Will grasping onto and equating the spectres and getting spectred and witnessing Tulio's reaction or hearing about Tulio's reaction to being spectred and how he counts the bricks and equating that with his mother and her counting the leaves on a tree counting the railings in the park etc and he grips onto that really, really hard. For me, it kind of struck a little moment of like where we've been at recently in the buffering watch through of Buffy, whereby all three seasons, one through four of Buffy, we've been doing a lot of just fighting monsters that are metaphors for other things. We're fighting fish monsters from the swim team, but it kind of all fits into a thing, a metaphor of like boys being gross and like, yeah, Buffy's having to like deal with sexism on a day-to-day basis, but the monster that she's having to actually fight is a gill man. (laughs) Um, Or like a lot of the monsters are representing metaphors for like real life problems. Whereas here we've got Will is coming from a world that he thinks is non-fantastical, is supposed to be our world. And he's taking this monster from a fantastical world and applying it to problems that exist in his world. And it becomes really muddy because if you take mental illness out of the context of just being it's mental illness and there's some other factors like she is being stalked to there has to be a magical monster that Will can kill that will make everything better. It really muddies all the waters of like how to actually just 
deal with this and learn to like live with and embrace all types of neurodivergence <laughs> um, and manage things in a way that works in the real world and then also be able to fight magical monsters in a magical world. It's something I'm struggling to get my words out around because I'm struggling to like pass it together in that way because I know that where we're at in Buffy right now, there's a lot of muddying of the waters between fighting addiction, fighting mental health struggles, fighting etc etc and fighting actual monsters and where that all interlaps it gets a bit muddy because people mix their metaphors. Definitely that's like a really good point as well like I, I found this difficult to unpack because because of that reason because of the fact that like well he he is fighting magical monsters in a magically monstery world but then he comes from our world where these things don't exist but why should we say they don't exist if they exist in this other world? That doesn't mean that they can't exist in our world. And it does get really muddy. I feel like it's definitely a sense of denial here from Will in the sense that like, okay, my mum is struggling with her mental health. Here is a spectre that is doing it, doing a similar thing to these other people. And I have the one weapon in the world that can kill it. Maybe that's what's happening to my mum too. And maybe I can use it to get rid of the spectres to help her and you see exactly why he's doing that and also you kind of see why it might be true do you know what i mean like we are in this like magical world like why could the spectres not be in our world too like it is so so muddy in that sense and it's really difficult to like really like unpack everything that's happening here because like it could be like this is a book like it could actually be that there are spectres in will's version of our world do you know what i mean like it's not out of the question that that could be a thing yeah and then you're going well okay so if he can fight and kill off spectres if they do exist in our world what good does that actually do his mother within the society in which he's living in has he worked out how to get people reverse spectred no it's not like there's necessarily it's almost more of a vengeance vendetta than it is like i'm gonna get the things that did this to my mom rather than just what's a way in which I can make the world a better place for my mum and me to exist in. It's really hard to work out what the what the ideal solution for everyone is in this situation because there isn't one because it's such a muddy mixing of fantastical and reality and issues that are really hard to unpack in a way that is considering the emotions and lives of actual people living this experience in our real world. Yeah. Absolutely. Also, I think just remembering that Will is 12 and having to think about all these things and trying to deal with all of this is just devastating. Yeah, it really is. Especially with him being so young as well. It's this is potentially instilling a false hope of making everything better in some kind of way, which is just isn't a thing. Whereas like sometimes metaphors are really, really, really useful to help us and stories are so useful to help us understand things and frame them in a way that helps us get through our lives. Uh, there's a really, I need to look up the author and we could potentially link it, but there's a really good children's book written. Um, I think it's called The Black Dog, but it's about depression and it's about somebody dealing with depression, framing it all as a metaphor and understanding putting this black dog into a room as this like presence that is representative and a metaphor, et cetera, et cetera, makes it, re makes it some, in some ways easier for kids to understand when you're trying to explain an issue to them because we can frame stories and personifications of things so much better to like frame things in our heads. However, if you then go, it's real and you can fight it with a magical knife, that changes everything. <laughs> and you're like, ah, 
doesn't really work right now. <laughs> um, I don't know if that made sense, but yeah. It's called Living with a Black Dog by Matthew Johnston, just for reference. <laughs> Will then talks again, the stuff that we've already heard from his internal monologue type thing from the beginning of the book, that he fantasizes about his dad a lot. He's now telling Lyra all of this and that his mum said that he's going to take up his dad's mantle. We've heard that before. And he's like, I don't know what that means. I always, when someone says mantle, I mean, I know it means cloak or coat and it also and it also is to do with like taking on a position but I just think of a mantelpiece and I'm imagining Will trying to pick up a mantelpiece which I'm sure is probably what he is doing as well because if you haven't heard it as a metaphor or as an item of clothing you're probably thinking of a mantelpiece. <laughs> Lyra says to him didn't you have friends? How could I have friends? He said simply puzzled friends they come to your house and they know your parents and sometimes a boy might ask me around to his house and I might go or I might not but I could never ask them back so I never had friends really I would have liked I had my cat I hope she's all right now I hope someone's looking after her Moxie will be fine cats are wily she will have wormed her way into somebody else's household and be sat on a cushion eating chicken don't you worry (laughs) yeah I just um I know we briefly mentioned it before but I'm just so sad about like Will literally, when it said he was simply puzzled at Lyra asking him if he had friends, that is so telling of the fact that like this is a boy who was grown up thinking that friends were not a possibility for him. He just accepted that he would never have friends. And that is so fucking sad. And this is also him having a conversation with Lyra, who to whom not only friendship, but becoming the leader of the pack of children that she becomes friends with slash leader of is so natural everywhere she goes where there are kids she becomes the ringleader except for in this one situation where the kids turned against her and will so she's so shook by it and he's like this is standard fare when he's talking about his dad and playing around looking for like playing looking for his dad and all of this kind of stuff it really made me think about how both lyra and will's missions this whole time seem to have been to get to their dad like lyra spent so much of her childhood playing at being in the north with uncle asriel and there's so many parallels between them and then they're such different children at the same time which i kind of really love seeing those um comparisons all like intermingle when they're having these conversations about their lives yeah definitely they've both had absent fathers and turned out completely differently not that that's the only factor that would impact your life but i think it's it highlights how there are many many factors that impact a person's life and yeah how they both played in such similar ways as like younger children and and then still have this goal as still children but like more now they've grown up and his goal is still to find his dad and lyra's goal still is well we know that joppery's goal is to get the bearer to Asriel. So now we know that Lyra's job to get Will to his dad, who we know is John Parry, Joppery, is going to end up with her having to try and get to Asriel potentially, because that is Joppery's mission to tell the bearer who is Will. So like, it's this thing of like, why are we always constantly traveling to a mountain to find our dads? (laughs) (laughs) Why? (laughs) Lyra, uh, sorry, Will then tells Lyra about the man that he killed. Again, just like kind of rehashing the information that we already know about. I wonder if when he's telling this story of killing the man or not killing the man, he doesn't know. And he reiterates multiple times that he doesn't care, which I think is very telling that he really does care. And 
I wonder if Lyra's listening to this going from like, he's a murderer, he's strong like Yorick, he probably battled this man and beheaded him with an axe or something epic, and then finds out that he just tripped him down a flight of stairs because a cat was accidentally there. If Lyra's like mildly disappointed or if she's like, oh no, that makes sense. I- I'm actually kind of glad that he's not a murderer. <laughs> Do you know what it made me think of when he's like saying, I don't care, I don't care. It made me think of Faith. In Buffy. Yes. So many Buffy references this episode. We love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where she um where she stabs the human in the heart by accident and she's like, I don't care. It's very, very faith. They definitely both do care, but they're they're just trying to make it sound like they don't. Trying to convince themselves that they don't. <laughs> I love that Will's life is intertwined with so many cats. Yes. He is a cat. He's man. just like the definition of a cat person. Love it. Love it so much. Cats are like guiding his way and protecting him. They're like his little guardian cat angels. (laughs) Yeah. So we talked about how they start to like wonder where they'd be if if circumstances were different. And I really like this paragraph, so I'm just going to read it. They both sat silent on the moss-covered rock in the slant of sunlight through the old pines and thought how many tiny chances had conspired to bring them to this place. Each of those chances might have gone a different way. Perhaps in another world, another Will had not seen the window in Sunderland Avenue and had wandered on, tired and lost, towards the Midlands until he was caught. And in another world, another pantaliman had persuaded another Lyra not to stay in the retiring room and another Lord Asriel had been poisoned and another Roger had survived to play with that Lyra forever on the roofs and in the alleys of another unchanging Oxford. And that just made me want to cry a little bit, just the mention of Lyra and Roger playing together forever. Mm-hmm. Two Roger mentions in this chapter. <laughs> Hashtag justice for Roger. Yeah, I love it. It's like we were talking about earlier, like this is a very reminiscent chapter. This is a very what if, what if, and look at all these possibilities that are laid out before us that, yeah, make us think of that in our own lives. And it's just, we love it, but it's very much like, does that mean things are going to change? Everyone's spending all this time reminiscing and thinking about how things could have been different. What's going to happen? That means something's coming. I don't want it to. Yeah. <laughs> they move on like further on their trail, like throughout the day, and they find a village that's not been bothered by spectres. Lyra and Will go off and get some supplies. Love this. Just buy some bread from a lady with a goat. It's all cool. Don't, don't you worry. <laughs> and then they're on the way again. And this, honestly... I would not survive. The land was harsher now. For shade, they had to rest in the shadow of rocks, not under widespreading trees, and the ground underfoot was hot through the soles of their shoes. The sun pounded at their eyes. They moved more and more slowly as they climbed, and when the sun touched the mountain rims and they saw a little valley up and below them, they decided to go no further. I would a hundred million percent get sunstruck and probably die. I would not be able to do that. Yeah, it sounds not fun. And also, poor Will, like, I know his hand's a little bit better maybe (laughs) at this point it doesn't appear to be bothering him as much but yeah it's a very like lovely image as well of this whole paragraph describing a struggle describing how hard it is how hard going and this like suddenly they scramble down this slope and they're in this like glade this like idyllic almost like you might imagine a mirage kind of thing of like a lovely glade it's very it's a very magical scene. Again, it's very fantasy novel. It's very like biblical, almost of like stumbling into this land of plenty when they've just struggled to find a place to rest. And suddenly there's like a beautiful place with 
clean running water and wildflowers everywhere. (laughs) But Will's hand has begun to bleed again. Her face was troubled. It was plain to him that this bell hadn't worked. He could see it and she knew it too. But well, it's clear that it's not worked and it's worrying, but they choose to kind of have a nap rather than deal with it right now, which I understand. (laughs) (laughs) And then Will has a little guy-to-guy chat with Pan and it's adorable. (laughs) I'm just going to cry. I'm just going to cry. Don't mind me. I'm just in a puddle in the corner. (laughs) Pan, am I going to die? The witches won't let you die, nor will Lyra. But the spell didn't work and I keep losing blood. I can't have much left to lose and it's bleeding again and it won't stop. I'm frightened. Lyra doesn't think you are, doesn't she? She thinks you're the bravest fighter she ever ever saw, as brave as Yorick Bernison. I suppose I better try not to seem frightened then. I think Lyra's braver than me. I think she's the best friend I ever had. She thinks that about you as well. And it's lovely, and it's lovely that it's a moment between Will and Pan. But then the fact that they finished the little segment with Lyra Lay unmoving, but her eyes were wide open in the dark, and her heart was beating hard. Oh it's my like, god! She knows, she knows Will's her best friend too. Oh, ah. and she heard everything he said, and it's so yeah. sweet. But also, like, she chose to leave that as a moment between Will and Pan because it felt right, and like, there's oh, it's just such a lovely little moment of like connection and understanding, and like breaks my heart yeah it does me it i'm very me. i'm on the verge I'm of tears now. <laughs> i do have a question about like demon law and how they interact with their humans if lyra had been asleep would she not know about that conversation like how is your mind connected to a demon like would she wake up and immediately know that pan had had that conversation or would he have to tell her about it i think that is as fuzzily written out in the books as the speaking with your minds part with the demons where sometimes they're able to just think to each other and sometimes they have to talk and I wonder if it is a just like a mutual understanding I wonder if it's like a Venn diagram of like your mind your demon's mind and information that you've chosen that you will let occupy the the middle section of the Venn diagram but it's up to you and your demon what occupies that middle section but you don't have to physically tell each other to find like exchange the information you can just like pop it into the middle drawer i don't know (laughs) interesting yeah because there's definitely like a certain level of like shared responsiveness in terms of like pain nerve reflexes etc etc there's a lot of like shared physical responses where like if the demon feels pain you feel pain if you blah 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 but like yeah in terms of like mental information sharing it's not made clear very interesting though demon watch (laughs) demon watch so will wakes up and it's dark and his hand's really hurting now Mm -hmm. and then seraphina makes him eat some leaves that taste gross and are hard to eat fun and lyra's trying to toast some bread on a stick which i appreciated and thought was quite funny Mm -hmm. and they see a balloon in the distance There were two men in it, but it was too far away to see who they were, and a storm was gathering behind them. Lyra clapped her hands. If Mr. Scoresby's coming, we'll be able to fly. Will, oh, I hope it's him. I never said goodbye to him, and he was so kind. I wish I could see him again. I really do. Oh, Lee, we hope we can see you again, too. Take a pin out and put it next to this page. (laughs) Also, (laughs) cut to the witch, Juta... Come on in. 
please excuse my pronunciation, it's probably awful. The, the witch, due to Kermione, was listening with her red-breasted Robin demon bright-eyed on her shoulder because of the mention of Lee Scoresby, reminded her of her the quest he'd set out on. She was the witch who had loved Stanislas Grumman and whose love he'd turned down, the witch Seraphina had brought to this world to prevent her from killing him in their own. And you can take another pin and kind of remember. We're just being reminded that she exists, just so you know. Seraphina might have noticed this, but something else happened because something's going on overhead. Uh, something's falling towards them. What's going on? Oh, it's Rita Scardi. She's dropping in. Yay. With Rita. a bunch of cliff ghasts. <laughs> Just killing some cliff gas in the air. They're falling at people's feet. They're trying to attack Lyra. Will fucking chops one of the heads off with a knife. Very casually beheads one. Yeah. <laughs> if he wasn't a murderer before, he is now. <laughs> <laughs> Love Phil just breaking out the gore again he's been really into it this chapter oh this is just the the gory quote that i was trying to pull out here was just the but will was there first and with the knife he slashed backhand and the creature's head came off and rolled over once or twice the air left his lungs with a gurgling sigh and it fell dead just let's envision that shall we yes (laughs) how horrendous thanks phil yeah so the witches go up and have like a bit of a fight with the cliff gas and then rooter comes down and hi, Ruta. Missed you, babes. Hey, babes. Love Lyra's reaction to her. I was about to say that. Ruta asks about Lyra and Will and says, Lyra returned her gaze st- uh, stolidly, though she felt a quickening of her heart for Ruta Scardi lived so brilliantly in her nerves that she set up a responding thrill in the nerves of anyone close by. Heart! I know yes. that obviously we're talking about Lyra's reaction to her, so that's wildly inappropriate, but... The fact that it's anyone close by, so we know that also means Serafina and all the grown-ass witches that are feeling the feelings for Ruta Scardi. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. she is that kind of person who anybody she meets is like, oh, you're where it's at. Oh yeah. My one gripe with Ruta. Why has she got to be so attracted to Asriel? <laughs> Why is she so obsessed with telling everybody that they banged? Right. <laughs> That's what she does. Come on, That's Ruta. Rain it in. Rain it in, love. I love this when she, so she's describing, she's describing what it's like finding Asriel's fortress that is this like massive, huge fortress encampment with like roads from every angle and all of these like huge armies assembling from every angle. And we can envisage Saruman building his army in Mordor. (laughs) And it's very like epic. And we're getting descriptions of all of these like unusual Uh, species from other worlds which is really exciting Uh, but the main thing that piques the interest of the witches after we've heard about like armored lizards and apes and birds with poison spurs and stuff is that she spoke to witches from worlds like ours but profoundly different for those witches live no longer than our short lives and there are men among them too men witches who fly as we do and it's like when you're an all-girls school and somebody says that the boys school next door has been invited to come to your school disco (laughs) and they all go the boys and then all the gays in the room are like ugh the boys yeah (laughs) that's just what that peaked for me I just love that the this just highlights again how the like men are in a minority for the witch. I mean, they don't even really exist, and they do not exist in the witch clans in Lyra's world. But the fact that they're like shooketh that there's like male witches in other worlds, they're like, what the fuck? And I like that. It's like an um kind of like Wonder Woman vibes when like they're like all these Amazons existing on an island and they've never seen a man, and yet there's so many of them. Hmm. Hmm. 
hmm, how are they all existing, living these celibate lives? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, beggar. <laughs> They're all just gal pals. They're all gal pals. <laughs> exactly. All these witches, absolute gal pals. Very excited to hear that men exist. <laughs> just gals being pals. Gals being pals. They ask her if she's seen Lord Asriel, and she does a classic thing saying, you know, she makes herself invisible. She's gone to his chamber. I made myself invisible and find my way to his inmost chamber where he was preparing to sleep. Every witch there knew what had happened next, and neither Will nor Lyra dreamed of it, so Rita had no need to tell them and she went on. But you have every knowledge that she was doing some eyebrows when she was saying that. Oh, totally. They're banged. But also, it's a bit problematic that like she wasn't invited into his chamber. She just fucking became invisible and showed up there. Yeah, her whole thing with Asriel is very problematic. Like, I am so here for being like, Rita Scardi, you're amazing, you're hot. I love it, I love it. Like, absolute queen. And then she talks about like a lot of these obsessive feelings that she has about Asriel that can come off quite stalkery, to be honest. She makes herself invisible. She lets herself into his room. She mentions later on when she realises that Lyra's his daughter, like, oh, imagine how great she would be if she was mine and Asriel's kid. Yeah. Oh, I just love imagining me having kids with him and not other women. And like a weird like competitiveness in in there where she's like... It's strange. I, I feel like Ruta sometimes doesn't have a filter. Like, because like, you know, people have, you have those thoughts sometimes, like thoughts like that enter, enter one's brain when one likes somebody in that way. But maybe just keep it to yourself. <laughs> it's just a lot. And it's not what you'd expect from her because she's this like strong, powerful, independent woman. And then it's focusing all her energy on this like one dude. And <laughs> uh, that's the really upsetting thing about it, isn't it? Like that's the crux of it. It's like, oh, Ruta, you're so fucking hot and amazing. Why you got to like this one dickhead guy? <laughs> it's the fact that he's the worst as well. I know, like the worst of them as well. <laughs> You could have at least gone for like Lee or somebody. Then we would have been behind you. But I'm sorry, I can't. I can't get on board. Yeah. I mean, fortunately, she's not so eager to please him that she makes promises that she can't keep. Because when he says to her, you should bring all of your witch sisters to join me in the fight, she doesn't say, yes, we're in on anyone else's behalf. She knows that she has to go back and get everybody's consent to come join this battle. I'm very glad she didn't just pledge people without their knowledge, you know? <laughs> yeah. Also, I can't handle how pleased Azriel is that everybody's talking about him. So pleased. <laughs> Got rich, rolled her eyes on guys, if you... <laughs> <laughs> and then I asked him why he was bringing all these forces together. And if it was true, what we'd heard about his challenge to the authority. And he laughed. Do they speak of it in Siberia then, he said. And I told him yes. And on Svalbard and in every region of the north. He fucking loves it, doesn't he? He loves he it. Loves it. I mean, he has got some big stuff going on. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if people were talking about it, but he 100% takes credit for all of it when I'm sure that he is delegating a lot of that organizing. Yeah, he's like, oh my God, are they talking about me and all these places? Oh my God. And it's like, Azrael, God damn it. <laughs> also, even if it's not like, oh my God, they're talking about me, he's probably just like, oh. So they've heard how great I am then. Unsurprising. <laughs> kind of vibes at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yes. Again, accrediting a lot of stuff to Asriel that is not to his credit. Because Ruta's saying, like, he opened my eyes to all of the injustices of the authority. He opened my eyes to the way in which 
the authority in all of its iterations across all of the worlds is like using its power to abuse the vulnerable and specifically children. And it's like, girl, Asriel didn't tell you about Bolvanger. Serafina and Lyra did. You've known about these things. You've had the ability to go and find out about these things. He's not the one that's educating you on this. Like, okay, he's raging this war. It's very righteous. But like, you don't need to give him the credit for all of that because he technically is not the person that told you. Yeah. And this is the thing again, isn't it? It's like, we obviously hate Asriel, but it's that thing again where like, okay, this like war that he's waging, we would be on that side of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, yes, fuck the authority and all this horrible thing that's happening underneath it. But then it's that thing again of like, it being all attributed to Azriel when there's so many we've just seen how many so many like people, witches, creatures are like helping out with this thing and it's all been attributed to this one guy who fucking loves it. It's all been attributed to him as well. You know he fucking loves it. And that's what I can't get on board with. I'm just like, oh my fucking God. Also, but like therein lies the road to ruin, right? You can't just pin all of your hopes and dreams of destroying a very corrupt system on one saviour because one person cannot be 100% unproblematic. One person cannot be 100% good and the epitome of everything that is the cause that you're fighting for. You can't pin all of that to one person because they will inevitably let you down. And we know Asriel's a let down from the get-go. <laughs> so... <laughs> oh, ah. fucking hell. <laughs> Follow the cause, not the man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I like that it calls out uh, the witch trials in our world. That was interesting. Many more hideous cruelties dealt out in the authority's name of how they capture witches in some worlds and burn them alive, sisters. Yes, witches like ourselves. And then I'm like, God, we are shit, aren't we? Just <laughs> our world is shit. Yeah, also just a bit bleak that Phil's written however many numbers of worlds into this and been like, yes, it's shit in all of them. Corruption is rife. And you're like, ugh, great. Cool. Great. great, 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 great. Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> Horrible people exist everywhere. Great. No escape. <laughs> One of my notes is just Ruta is fully on the Azrael train. 100%. <laughs> so then she talks about how she said she's going to come and ask for permission. She flies away, but she gets caught in some wind and ends up on taking refuge on a cliff where there's some cliff gas having a big chat. I would very much like to imagine that despite her being a very elegant and poised person... I'd very much like to imagine that she's very into storytelling and will do the voices for the cliff guests. I really want that for her. I really want for her to get really invested in their characters and do the cliff guest voices. Well, I put a note on this because it made me laugh that she's like reiterating what they've said. And she says, Grandfather, they said, how far back does your memory go? Way, way back. Back long before humans, he said, and his voice was soft and cracked and frail. Why would she say that? Because <laughs> this whole thing is her reciting the story. Like, we don't need to know what his voice sounds like. Yeah, just do the voice, Ruta. Do the voice. <laughs> but this is the thing. I just desperately want to imagine her, like, around the fire, like, crouched and doing the spooky hands and, like, doing the cliff gas. So maybe, like, grabbing the decapitated cliff gas head to be, like, the other one in the conversation and putting on a puppet show. <laughs> maybe not. That's that's a bit grim. <laughs> that's dark. I like it. <laughs> but I just really want to imagine her getting really into telling this story. <laughs> so basically what we learn in the story is that Asriel will win the war, but only if he has this person or thing called Asahatra. Yes, Ashatta. Ashatta, yeah. Ashatta. Only if you can find the Ashatta. <laughs> and we don't know what it is or who it is. Um, we have no idea. 
And the cliff gas find this hilarious because, like, obviously they don't want him to win the war. or They don't really care. They just want a war because it means they can eat all of the carcasses that are all of the bodies because that is their jam. They are scavengers. They are the vultures of the mythical creature world and will scavenge. And so they're like, we don't care. We just want a lot of death. Thank you very much. And then uh, Ruta's invisibility failed when she was there and then she had to leave. And then that's how she went back into the world where Chittagatse is and the cliff, some of the cliff gas followed her because they saw her. And that's why we ended up with a couple of headless ones on the floor. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for some reason, this cliff gas knows about Asahetra and also knows that Asriel doesn't know about it. And now Ruta knows that her mission is going to have to be find out what the heck an, a- an Asahetra is and get whatever that is or whoever that is to Asriel. Then Ruta's like, oh, it's clear again. It's clear that Azriel needs us. Whoever this Asa Hetra is, she's talking to Serafina at this point. Lord Azriel needs us. I wish I could go back to Lord Azriel now. Like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we get it. You love Azriel. She says, let's agree now, Serafina Pekula, and call a great council of all the witches, every single clan, and make war. And then Serafina Pekula looked at Will, and it seemed to him that she was asking his permission for something, but he could give no guidance. And she looked back at Ruta Scardi. I don't know why she looks at Will. Do you? Is it because she's like, I made you a promise, kid. Are you going to release me from that promise? And he's like, I don't know what you want. (laughs) And she's like, okay, you haven't released me from the promise (laughs) or whatever. Um, Or if it's because she suspects something about him or Lyra or something that they have. Yeah, no, that makes sense, actually, that she would be like, oh, but I said I'd do this thing for Will and Lyra. So I can't really just hop over and help Azriel right now. Yeah, maybe she's waiting for him to be like, oh, no, 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 we're, we're fine. You go, you go. You you do you, you do you. And Will's like, like, I don't get it. Just what? sat there like bleeding, like, I can't do anything right now. Yeah, I'm sorry. Happens. I do not understand. <laughs> Ruta Scardi does not like the, that response and tosses her head and is like, Ugh, if you must. And Will lies down because his wound is hurting him more now than when it was fresh and his whole hand was swollen. We know what that means. Dr. Anna told us to watch out for swelling. It's probably sepsis. We hope not overwhelming sepsis. Will really needs a doctor. He um, really does. He really, does. really badly. We need to get the bone nibblers out. Yeah, get out those nibblers. Oh, Will. Yeah, they lay down, they go to sleep, Will and Lyra, and Ruta Scardi goes on some more about Asriel. <laughs> God, I know. Jesus Christ. Faye. I think this is the thing you've not what you've not taken into account while you've been being mean about Azriel is that he's the greatest commander there ever was. Every detail of his forces is clear in his mind. And you just got to imagine the daring of it, like to make war on the creator. Honestly, you've just missed out on the fact that he's great. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't see it before. I've changed my mind. Uh, I mean, if anyone was going to change my mind, it, it would be Rita Scardi. But I know, but I'm just... No. Not on him. <laughs> no, no, not on him. Uh, <laughs> but I love it. So Rita is very convinced that Asa Hetra is a person. She's wondering who it is. Serafina suggests that maybe it's not him. Maybe the old Cliff Gas was laughing at the young Cliff Gas because it's not a person or not a man specifically. Thank you very much, Rita, assuming it's a man. And Serafina being like, uh, no. Maybe it's not him. Also, maybe it's not her. Maybe it's whatever. 
and mentions that the word sounds a lot like God destroyer. And then Root is like, oh, well, if it doesn't mean a him, if it doesn't mean a her, maybe it means an us. Maybe it means the witches. Maybe collectively, we're all the Asa <laughs> It's just like, I love how just reading it, you're like, she's just going to go through everything, isn't she? Because next she's like, maybe it's Lyra. Maybe she is the Asa And she's going to go through everything. Maybe it's that tree. Maybe that tree is the Asa <laughs> If you go through everything that's ever existed, eventually, Actually, you will find it, You'll find it. Yeah, you will, you will, you will. It says, In every world, the agents of the authority are sacrificing children to their cruel god. Why? Why? They are afraid of dust, said Serafina Pecola. Though what that is, I don't know. So it always comes back to the dust with a capital D. And then Ruta asks about Will, so Serafina tells her everything about him. And then... Rutus is. Rutus is. He's strange. He's strange. He's the same kind as He's Lord He's the same Azrael. kind as Lord Have you looked Azrael. into his eyes? Into- to tell you the truth, said Serafina Pecola, I haven't dared. Rutus just wants to compare everyone and everything to Azrael because she loves him so much. But also, I find that very interesting in terms of like... That's so interesting. But I don't know what I think of it. My chain of thought when I was reading that was like, I wonder if it's just that they both have the same intensity and drive. And it's just that... Asriel, as far as we know, grew up as a Lord Asriel in a privileged position. And that intensity and drive allowed him to get into some particularly high society and a lot of funding to do some very expensive things, even if he did have that all stripped away when he did the murder and the affair and all of that kind of stuff. But Asriel's intensity is intensity and drive plus privilege. And Will's is intensity and drive plus hardship tbh and a relatively normal slash low level of like income and privilege and etc etc like he those he's obviously got everyone's got some levels of privilege in their life or whatever but asriel's is a very high and wills is a lot lower and like i wonder if they just have that same intensity and drive but it's interesting to think about like would will grow up to be an asriel type or would he grow up to be much less ethically questionable than an asriel type yeah it is interesting to think about i'm not not sure what i think about it to be honest i don't love it Especially because Root is so obsessed with Asriel. I'm like, no, stop talking about him having the same eyes. Like, he's a young boy. Leave him alone. Her level, like, she's g- it's getting a bit too much on her level of obsession with Asriel. Come on, Ruta. There are better people out there for you. You're better than him. Yes. You deserve better. <laughs> You're too good for him. 100%. Lyra does a little cry as she's sleeping, which makes me wonder if it's because they've been talking about Roger and if she's having bad dreams. Oh, maybe. Which is very sad. And they kind of talk a little bit more about Lyra and then they have a little conversation about how the witches know the name of what makes Lyra important, but the culted doesn't know yet. And they kind of reiterate the whole thing on the boat. And that's what makes Ruta like, maybe it's Lyra, maybe she's the Asetra. And then that's where she goes into the whole like, oh, Mrs. Coulter was a lover of Asriel's. Of course. And Lyra is their child, Serafina. If I had born this child, what a witch she would be. A queen of queens. Just like, girl, <laughs> please. Oh. Ruta. Ruta, 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 Ruta. Honestly, I can't. The level of inappropriateness. This is what she's saying right now. It's high. And the level of, you're too good for him. Please pick somebody else to be obsessed with. Or please pick yourself to be obsessed with because you're worth it. Is everything. Everything doesn't need to relate back to this man. No, it does not. Serafina's like, shut the fuck up. She doesn't say that. She's like, hush, sister. Because they have seen a light. So they head back to where everybody is sleeping. All the witches were asleep on the grass. And so were Will and Lyra. 
but surrounding the two children were a dozen or more angels gazing down at them. And then Serafina understood something for which the witches had no word. It was the idea of pilgrimage. She understood why these beings would wait for thousands of years and travel vast distances in order to be so close to something important and how they would feel differently for the rest of their time, uh, having been briefly in its presence. That was how these creatures look now. These beautiful pilgrims of rarefied light, standing around the girl with the dirty face and the tartan skirt and the boy with the wounded hand who was frowning in his sleep. Ah, I love it so much. I love the image. And it immediately makes me think of like how that entire scene would look as a Renaissance painting. Mm. Like it's something that is probably quite deliberately very much like a tableau of this scene, this painting that you can imagine Da Vinci trying to paint, you can imagine it looking like something from The Last Supper or like a classic nativity scene kind of thing of like these two sleeping figures surrounded by angels is like, it's very iconic. It's very, like it's pulling from religious iconography and it also is just something that would fit so perfectly in this like epic story painting that I'm imagining. I feel like this bit really, really, really cements for the reader how just how important Will and Lyra are. We've heard it from the witches. We've heard it from other people. We know that Lyra is going to put an end to destiny or whatever that means. And then the fact that there are these angels surrounding them, just looking at them. And that is a profound experience for those angels. That's bananas. It's also a lot. Like, it's a little bit creepy, but it's fine. (laughs) Like, if I was to wake up and be like, I mean, Pan does, right? Pan wakes up and kind of notices and then seems to just be like, seems legit and then goes back to sleep as if like, it's just right that there should be angels surrounding us because Lyra is the best person in the world. (laughs) And then it says that Lyra will remember it as a dream. So again, that's like that fuzzy line between like, well, Pan saw it and Lyra didn't. So does does, does that mean that Lyra immediately knows what happens? That fuzzy line again. The angels do this magical thing where they spread their wings and you can see that they're like not made of any substance that would clash with each other because the wings kind of all like, I mean, it says on the on the page what they do. Interpenetrated with no resistance. That's, what, that's how <laughs> Phil describes it. Sweeping through one another, wow. one another, like light through light. So like they're just this like insubstantial thing and it makes this like glowing circle of radiance around them which is a lovely image and very very spatial and then they take off like shooting stars which makes me think of how they're portrayed in the end of the tv series season two and ruta and seraphina try to chase them but they're they're not fast enough so ruta's like well while we're in the air i'll leave i'm off, <laughs> I'm off. <laughs> and seraphina is like bye and then it's just kind of like thinking about the angels and how insubstantial they are and how different their experience of the world must be to her. And she then just like takes a moment, which I kind of love this. She takes a moment to just kind of like sit in her skin and feel her feelings and feel the world around her and have her like witchy connectedness to nature and like really embrace it and like snaps off a bit of her cloud pine and sniffs it just to enjoy having the ability to smell things, which I feel like is something that I ought to do more often. You know, when people are like, stop and smell the roses. That's probably what I ought to do. I'm too busy, like anxiously walking along, listening to podcasts. I should probably just sit. I kind of did that the other day when I watched that sleeping duck. Oh yeah. I Rich, sent me a video. video of it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just 
were walking along and I was like, oh, someone's dropped a handbag. And it was just this duck really casually sleeping and living its life. And so I stopped and I sat on a bench and I watched a sleeping duck and it was Aww. lovely. I feel like that's, Sarah's watching the sleeping duck right now. Oh, <laughs> well, that's the end of the chapter. Yes. It was a good chapter. I liked it. It was a lot there. It's an awful lot. Like there's a lot that goes on. We're kind of picking up all sorts of different threads while we're carrying the story on. Because all they've technically done is kind of try and fail to heal Will and travelled a little bit closer. But we found out so much stuff. Yeah, we did. Like this was a whole Asriel finding out what he's been up to chapter at the same time as being a what's going on with Lyra and Will and let's deepen their relationship and like make better friends kind of chapter. So it's like, that's a lot. Lots of good like character development, which I enjoy, like Will opening up to Lyra. Love it. Love to see that, even though it's sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the next chapter called? The next chapter is called Alamo Gulch. I wonder what that one will be like. Yeah, in- interesting chapter name. Mm. I shan't mm. say anything else. <laughs> do you have any awards to give out this week? I do. I was thinking about this a lot because I know we talked last week about how we kept giving our awards to like the main characters because... We're, we're not really seeing anybody else. And I, I think she probably does count as a main character, but I'm even though she's obsessed with Asriel, I'm going to give it to Ruta just because she's so fucking great. I don't agree with her, Ari Asriel, but I admire like her authority, well, no pun intended, and her strength and like her sense of self, I think is very admirable. And also she's hot. Mm-hmm. So she gets an award for being hot. Fair, sure. And also the fact that she does whatever she wants without like apology. I like that because I struggle with that. And I think that she's just a powerful lady. I like that. Who is your award for? So part of me, again, like we were saying last chapter, I was like, oh, I'll just give it to a random side character that we'll never see again. I was like, oh, what about the lady that sold them the bread? And I was like, no, that's too obscure. We don't even know her name. (laughs) But then it just pulls me straight back into like, who deserves it this chapter? Serafina for trying even though she failed. But mostly Will for just still going through it. Right, yeah, definitely. So I feel like it just has to be for Will because he's taken some really big steps in that he's opened up to Lyra about a lot of stuff that's gone on in his past that has affected him and that he, that's a really big step for him. And then also his bloody hand won't get better. The poor boy. His poor hand. In place of an award, maybe I should send him an air ambulance. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Pull together and we'll just send him an air ambulance, yeah. He does deserve it though, bless him. And he went through so much emotional trauma this chapter as well. Mm-hmm. It's for Will. Speaking of awards and rewards, we are still running our giveaway where if you leave us a positive review, take a screenshot of that review and email it to us at her.materialspod at gmail.com. That email will be your entry into a prize draw where when we hit 50 entries, we'll pull out 10 names from a hat and you'll 10 of you will get some super cool bookmarks and one person will get the full merch bundle. Yes, please give us five stars and say nice things. Yes. It really helps. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Her Dark Materials. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HDMPod and you can email us at herdarkmaterialspod at gmail.com. You can also visit our website at hdmpod.co.uk. 
you want to support us, you can become a patron at patreon.com forward slash hdmpod. We also have a shop where you can buy merch featuring all original artwork from Rage. You can find it at hdmpod.co.uk forward slash shop. I'm Faye and when I'm not talking about Router, you can find me hanging out on Twitter and Instagram at Faye, which is F-A-Y-E-L-E triple Y. And if you want to read some of my old blog posts, I'm on Medium at Faye.Ducker. I'm Rachel and when I'm not here rambling about iambic pentameter, I am making cute and magical arty things. You can find me over on Instagram at RachMakes, on Twitter at Rach underscore makes and over in my online shop RachMakes.co.uk. A big thanks as always to Johnny Knott for his musical stylings. And we'll see you in two weeks time. And don't forget, keep telling stories and all will be well.